Open your Bibles up to John chapter 6. I've suffered this last year. I've really suffered this last year, just to be quite frank about it. Just so easy, easy to get uh, distracted. Maybe that's not the right word. Um, There's a shift that, uh, based off of troubles, based off of uh, uh, circumstances, based off of uh, priorities, based off of responsibilities, based off of the normal, average, everyday kind of life stuff. Uh, Because of those kinds of stuff, there's a shift that can take place in our life. And the shift that takes place is a focus away from Him and who He is in the middle of that to who He is and how He can handle that. And we become, and again, I don't know how this would play out in your life and and, uh, if you've ever thought of this before, but there's been dangerous ground that I've treaded on in this past year in terms of wanting what he can do for me instead of wanting him and who he is in the middle of that. It may not seem like a big shift, but it's a huge shift. And I've never seen it really stated like that before here in, in, in the scriptures. I mean... Uh, is there a difference between him and who he is in the middle of that situation versus what I want him to do in that situation and, and wanting his work in that situation? And maybe you could, and again, I'm pretty, a pretty uh, slippery kind of guy, you know. Uh, I cover things up so well. I, uh, I cloak things so well. I disguise it so well. Uh, and I can use in my language to walk around the hey, I don't even want you to do what I want you to do. It's just what I'm after is I want this thing taken care of. And just however you want to take care of it, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Which is just a disguised form of I'm really not interested in you in the middle of this and what you're doing and and you and your your fullness. How you you see this and what you're wanting to accomplish and and accepting this in my life. There's There's a reality of truth that, see, nothing comes in my life outside of his hand, period. Uh, we, we really got strong into that in chapter 5 and how, how evident that was that, uh, see, that you see it this much in the life of Moses as Jesus refers to him in chapter 5, but it's fully expanded in, in, in our life today, the relationship we have with him. Yeah. Now, see, if, if, if nothing could get to Moses unless it came through him, how much more is that, that true in our lives? Um, really been struggling with that and it's, it's the buzzwords, it's the buzz languages that we, uh, the buzzwords that we use, the language we use to describe. Do we really believe, are we really after him and him alone, not after what he can do in a circumstance? And it's so easy. I mean, you toss that language around, around and, and perhaps people are confused with that. Um, I was in uh, a, a Starbucks when I was uh, <clears throat> in Portland. And uh, I really was working hard on some video stuff that we're doing and just almost done with some revelation courses we're putting out. I'm excited about it. And it was really just working hard on some editing process. And see, right in the midst of that whole circumstance, right in the midst of the whole going through that three or four hour kind of process, my computer shut down. And I lost three or four hours of that. Now, now I'm not very hot and smart and those kind of things. So it's, you know, it's a little bit it was a little bit stretching for me. And, of course, I respond like every Christian would respond, wanting to pick it up and throw it and curse and scream and yell and kick stuff and run around. And I, and that's what was going on inside of me. But I didn't do that. I went and had a cup of coffee instead. And, 
It's my fix. And uh, <laughs> went out and had a cup of coffee and you know, relaxed and breathed in and breathed out. Um, how is Jesus the answer to that? How is Jesus the answer to that? My dad died and meant everything to my, my, my sister. And her world comes crumbling down. And she cried out to God, hey, move in this situation. And we all did. And he died. How, how, how is Jesus the answer to that situation? See, how, how, is, how is he in his fullness the answer to that? Marriage problems, church problems, bodily drive problems. Man, I've struggled with that. I've got this, uh, I've got this bodily drive issue inside of me. And, and uh, hey, this thing is always, how is, how is Jesus the answer to that? How, I, I, my first response to that when, when I used to hear that language was, you're so arrogant, man. Come and pour your heart out about what's going on. Oh, Jesus is the answer. You just want to pop them. <laughs> Maybe that's not you. That's, see, hey, what's the practicality of that? What's the outspill of that? You have a whole group of people in John chapter 6 that are living there. They, they have not, hey, they have not, they have not made the switch. They, they've missed it. And there is, and this, this, this group, the feeding of the 5,000 group, has been so extraordinary in that, see, they are the biggest supporters Jesus has, if you would look at it in a certain, uh, a certain light. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, of course, we know the chapter breakdown in the three sections. The first 15 verses <clears throat> is the details of what took place there. And if you take these first 15 verses and the feeding of the 5,000 and what's, what's taking place there, the risk that's involved with these people following Jesus around saying, we want you to be king. By the time this goes on, uh, the, the, the book progresses, they're doing the same thing as Jesus is coming into to Israel. And the leaders of Israel see it plainly, as we should even here. They said, hey, if, we go, if they go on like this, hey, the Romans are going to come in here and this whole thing. So there's great risk at what they're doing. Hey, we're tired of Rome being our king. We're tired of Rome being in charge. Let's make this guy king. And this is not like a, a small group, you know, of 50, 60 people that are doing this that Rome would blow off. This is 5,000 men, not including women and children, upwards possibly of 15,000, 20,000 people. Okay, so this is, this is more than just a little, uh, a little upstart. This is a movement, okay? So there's great risk involved here. Uh, the dedication of that, I don't care, and you can almost hear their hearts, I don't care what it costs me, I don't care what it costs my family, I've got my kids out here. We've left. We're following. There's no food that's evident in the minds of Jesus. It has to be evident in everyone else. Do you see the risk involved? In our culture, we would applaud that. Oh, they're so faithful. <laughs> they're so faithful. Okay? So there's, see, this group is his biggest supporters. And they are after. And he's familiar with this group. But there's a, there's a shift. There's a shift that they are refusing. Not that they don't understand. There's a shift that they're refusing to make. And it'll bring death in their life and separate them from Jesus. There's a shift they're refusing to take place. And Jesus, uh, he's so patient with us. You realize that? <laughs> he's so patient. I praise God he's not like me. Because you got about one or two times with me and then I, you're out. He is so patient. He is so familiar with this group. It's the first time that he's addressed it. This is the first time he's been so lenient. The first time he's addressed it. John chapter 6, uh, verse 26. Verse 25 and 26. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is ended. You know the scene. Uh, they want to make him king. <clears throat> okay? He doesn't want to be their king. So he runs up the side of this mountain, leaving uh, everyone there 
He's hiding out from them. The disciples uh, have, have also been left behind. He's by himself. Probably some understanding that they're going to meet him in Capernaum. Uh, there has to be some type. I mean, in the other Gospels, Jesus says, take the boat and head over. I mean, I'll meet you there kind of thing. So there's some understanding worked out. It's not expressed here. Uh, verses 16 through 21 tells us how the disciples and Jesus were reconnected. And he comes down in the middle of the night, gets around the crowd, walks out on the water. And again, it is a, it is a platform of displaying the message. Jesus is walking on the water doing what no man should be doing. And Jesus stands up in the midst of that scene and says, listen, you're seeing the resource, guys. You're seeing the I am. You're seeing the Father. He's always talking about the Father. Hey, here's another example of that. So they sail over to Capernaum. Now, verses 22 down through verse 24 talks about how the crowd the next day, they're looking around. They saw that one boat was there. Uh, the disciples went off in that, so there was no more boats. So how could Jesus get away? In fact, other boats started arriving from Tiberias. Probably they've heard of what has taken place in the feeding of the 5,000, you know, free meals. So they're on their way over. Uh, some of the crowd probably left. Some of them probably stayed. I remember a few years ago when John preached this, you might remember this. Uh, he's talking about how they all got into little boats at this point, And they're going in search of Jesus. You remember Juman talking about this? Uh, he's going in search of Jesus. And it wasn't like a luxury you know, cruise liner you know, that holds a big group of people. These are fishermen. So you have this great armada of ships. Remember him talking about that? You have this great armada. You don't? I remember all that stuff. He had this great uh, armada of ships that are coming across in search for Jesus. And they find him. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <clears throat> First time. First time Jesus confronts this group because he's familiar with them. He says, verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign or miraculous signs. Now notice, uh, that's plural. Almost, almost goofed that. He says, you're not looking for me because you saw miraculous signs. And you said, hold on, they just seen one. Not the feeding of the 5,000. No, folks, they've seen four. They've seen four. Not just one. This wasn't like you had your chance, it's gone. He is so patient on this. And in fact, it's not only that they've seen four, but we know that this is not an historical account. So how many have they seen? Hey, they've seen several. You're looking for me. He says, listen, guys, I, I can't tolerate this anymore. Get a hold of this. I can't tolerate this anymore. Hey, you're missing what I'm trying to tell you. You're not getting in on what I'm trying to get you in on. See, you're not embracing this. You're missing this. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs because you ate the loaves and had your, full, your fill. Now, what's he talking about in the midst of that? I want you to turn back to the first time he encounters this group. which was in chapter 2, verse 1. All four Gospels have no, uh, no contradictions in identifying where Jesus spent the most time of his ministry, which was in the area of Galilee. <coughs> Galilee. It's where he was all the time. This group is from Galilee. The first miracle in John's Gospel, of course, you have chapter 1 and the calling of the disciples, but you come to chapter 2, it's his first miracle. Where is it at? Galilee. At the end of this miracle, you have in verse 11, it says, this is the first of his miraculous Signs. They, they came to a wedding in Cana, in Galilee. They were there. This was talked about. This was witnessed. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The temple scene comes about, and Jesus, after remaining a time there, comes down with his mothers, his brothers, and his disciples. It's a whole family thing. They come down to Jerusalem. And uh, you have the events that take place, verses 12 through 16, that's described. 
Then you have the different responses to those events. Verse 17 is how the disciples respond. 18 through 22 is how the Jewish leadership of Israel respond. And verses 23 through 25 are a whole other group that he sticks in there. I thought that was really neat. There's a whole group that it says they believed in his name. Look at verse 25, 23. Verse 23 says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs. More than one, folks. In other words, was there several things that he did here? Was key signs? More than one. That week, the Passover time period, okay, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Now, that's, who is that group? I have no problem identifying, because you're going to see the consistency of this as you begin to go through the, uh, the book. Didn't catch it when I was in chapter 2, but by the time you get to chapter 4, chapter 6, and into chapter 7, you know who this group is. Who's the group that's on his side? Who's the group that's rooting for him? Who's the group that cheers whenever he comes into town? It's the same group. It's the Galilean group. They believed in his name. Now listen. Listen how Jesus responds to him. Verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He knew all men. He knew. Hey, he, just, he wouldn't give himself over to them. Signs. They see it. Yay, yay, yay. They believed in his name, but he wouldn't entrust himself. The word entrust is the same word for belief. In other words, how they believed in his name is how he would not entrust himself to them. Chapter 2. They've seen him. They've seen him. You go into chapter 3. Events take place. Nicodemus, John the Baptist. 4. He's on his way back to Galilee. There's the whole Samaritan stop. Well, they get there by the well. Jesus is sitting there. Uh, the woman comes out from the well. And there's, uh, of course, they, uh, out of that, the whole, uh, whole ministry of Samaria takes place. And he preaches for two days on her doorstep. <laughs> he preaches for two days on her, on her front porch. He's sleeping on her couch. And the 12 disciples, interns, are in the back. And, you know, and they're just, I mean, that whole scene, her house becomes the platform of ministry. You think, wow, who is she? Prostitute. <laughs> Shaky lady in the town. That's who, he, that's who he with that week. Her, her, her house. Phenomenal scene. She comes out of that. or uh, uh, They come out of that. And verse 43 says, after two days, he left for Galilee. So he, he, he tarried there for two days. Verse 44 in my translation is in parentheses, which tells you that this is not a direct quote from Jesus, but it's an understanding of the heart and attitude of Jesus that he, that he expressed. And the disciples got in on. John is giving us that. Hey, this is the attitude that Jesus has expressed. In other words, this is a familiar posture. Hear me. This is a familiar posture he's had towards the Galileans. Verse 44, parentheses. Now Jesus himself, we know that's emphatic, right? Because he could have included the pronoun in the verb, but he adds Jesus, so it's a double emphasis. Really strong on this. That's why they haven't missed it. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What's honor mean? Well, they just don't cheer loud enough. (laughs) Really. You guys should work. When I come up, if there would be a standing ovation, that's what we're really looking for. I mean, come on. Did that for Joel. Just, that's not what he's talking about. The Greek word there for honor is not doxa. It's tamin, which when I uh, uh, studied this was really interesting. It's a financial term. It means value. He said, they don't value me. They don't value the emphasis of that. They don't value, he didn't say they don't value what I do for them. They value that. They don't value me. They don't value me, man. He sees it. He gets there. 
And of course, immediately everyone's coming out. You got a Jewish guy, a royal official working in Herod's house, probably as a Jew. And he comes out, this huge issue. He's pestering Jesus, following him around. He won't let him go. Some of the language there is in the present continuing tense. So he's following Jesus and begging and begging and begging and begging. Okay? And Jesus says in verse 48, unless you people, not just talking about him, again, this guy is representative of all that culture, of all that group. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Unless you see the, unless you see the outspill of what we're doing. See, there's, there's, there's separation, there's, there's frustration, there's, there's, oh, if you guys would go to the next, and they have it. It's chapter 4. You come in chapter 6, of course, at the end of chapter 4. And this is not a, uh, a sporadic thing. You notice every time he comes in Galilee, John raises this issue. Isn't that interesting? Every time he comes to Galilee, this issue is raised with this group. So he goes down to uh, Jerusalem, chapter 5, for the Feast of the Jews. Chapter 6, sometime later, he's back up. You have the feeding of the 5,000. The sign is done. The sign is given. And again... Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He did not, see, he would not allow, he would not be identified with them. And again, the language that I've used for that was pretty strong, but I stick with it, in that they say, we want you to be our king. And Jesus says, I don't want to be your king. Now think of the ramifications of that. Wouldn't it be sad if on a Sunday morning a church showed up and worshipped and praised and all of that and, and all the time Jesus says, I don't want to be there. I don't, I, I, I'm not associated with them. Don't, don't, hey, don't stick my name on your church sign. I'm telling you, that, that's how strong that is. I don't want to be your king. I don't want to be identified with you. Not the king you want. Not what you're into. Hey, I don't want to be linked with that. Hey, I don't... Well, that's strong, man. I don't want to be your king. But, see, he's so, <laughs> it's almost like a man, he's just he's full of love, patience. He's just always hoping, not cutting them off entirely. He's just waiting there. Never addressed it yet. He's never come down on him yet. <clears throat> Chapter 6 comes down on him. And he says, verse 26, emphatic, again, amen, amen, I tell you. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. Okay? You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. Now you would say, what does he mean by miraculous signs? Well, miraculous signs, uh, that word uh, is, is one word in the, Greek, in the Greek language in John's gospel. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's. Matthew, Mark, and Luke use primary, uh, primarily the Greek word dunamis for his, for his miracles. John doesn't use that. Uh, he uses simeon, which Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that, but they don't use it in the way that John uses that. John uses simeon 17 times. And every time it has to do, again, with, hey, the, the miracles of Jesus. Now, in my NIV, we translate it miraculous sign, but miraculous is not there. It's just sign. That's how he uses it. So when Jesus is talking about a sign, okay, he's talking about, you know, uh, or, or a miracle, he's talking about it is a sign. Now, you would say, well, how is sign used? Well, let me give you some definitions of it. It's pretty simple. First way it's used in the scriptures is to give direction. 
It's what a sign is used for. That word, Simeon, it's used as a, uh, in a uh, it's used to give direction uh, in a story. However, the author uses it's used to give direction. Easy. Uh, you're going up to the, uh, um, you know, you're going up the road and you come to a stop. Sign gives you direction what to do at that moment. Okay. After the stop sign, there's another sign has a big arrow and it says one way. Now that tells you. Gives you direction. Okay? Hey, you need to go, if it's going this way, the arrow's pointing this way, you need to turn to the left. Don't turn to the right, man. It's a sign. It's there. And its purpose is to give you direction. That's the whole reason the sign's there. Not cosmetic stuff. We just don't like signs around our neighborhood. Hey, we give that there for direction. It's how that word is used uh, in the New Testament. That's not the fullness of how it's used here in our passage. It's also used to distinguish something from another. And one of the illustrations was this, was branding. I wanted to do that with our dogs. That way everybody would know it's mine. Brand my name in the side of it. Corinna's not a big fan of that. Uh, they do that with cows. Okay? It's a sign. There's also more subtle signs in terms of my son. Okay? There's a sign that he belongs to me. He <laughs> looks just like me. Poor kid. Okay? It's a sign. It distinguishes one from another. If I would look out here and they would say, who are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the red-headed guy. Okay? It's a sign. Or I'm talking about the African guy. It's a sign, George Cadega, Okay, It's a sign which distinguishes George from someone else. That's how that word is used. Okay, Distinguishing, sign. It's not really how it's used here. The way it's used here, it's used in association, especially in John's gospel. It takes on a unique meaning when it's associated with miracles. Miraculous events, serves, they serve as pointers and means of confirmation. Okay? So it is a sign in the miraculous event, a pointer and a means of confirmation that God is bringing something to pass, that God is moving and that God is speaking. Now, give you some examples of that. Go back with me to chapter 2. <clears throat> what was the sign? What were the signs? Jesus did these miracles. He didn't, they weren't miracles to him. He refers to them in John chapter 6 as, listen, you saw the signs. What does he mean by that? Hey, the things that I did, they just weren't things that I did. They were signs, man. They were signs. And you would say, well, what was the sign? Well, that's easy. It's the same thing. It's the same sign given in every, you can't, I mean, you get one answer, you get them all. Wouldn't it be great at your college exam? Take the first one, you get that answer, you can just fill that answer in for every other answer on the test. That's the answer. If you've seen one sign and you get it, you're going to get all the other signs. They never got any of them. <laughs> what was the sign in chapter 2? The wedding, at, the wedding at Cana? It was the wine. In the Nazarene church, that's the grape juice. Uh, <clears throat> it's the wine with no alcohol, which places the emphasis on the wine. Folks, the wine had nothing to do with it. The wine had nothing to do with it. Mom comes up, Jesus, big problem. Jesus, listen, my time's not yet come. These Galileans, they're not ready for hey, this, this whole thing and God's timing. And hey, it's just, God moves in the middle of that scene in the heart of Jesus and the compassion that he shows for this family. It's a powerful scene. He moves in, he calls these servants together, and that turns into a platform to show that the big deal isn't the wine, the big deal is him. So it's interesting to me that in the, in the wine, servants are gathered, and because you have to take some things for granted and use your head a little bit, see, if Mary went and got servants to take care of the wine issue, then the servants have all the things to take care of the wine issue. If Mark went and got servants to clean this place, and they're specifically designed and gathered for that purpose, they're going to come with cleaning supplies. That's what they're going to have at their disposal, whether they're given to them or what. See, the, the servants have been gathered for the wine issue. They probably have wine containers. 
They probably have all the things, I mean, hey, they're empty. Even if the old wine containers are jars, they have the wine stuff. Jesus doesn't let them use that. He tells them to go get the six ceremonial washing jars, which aren't used for wine. They're used for ceremonial washing. Fills those things up with water. Then he tells one of the servants, go draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. One is in charge of all the, you know, the master guy. Okay. Takes it up there and you find that now that's water is wine. The best, by the way. Okay. The best wine. Which tells you that now you have six stone water jars. They're not filled with water. They're filled with which is a shutdown of the old covenant system of, 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 of uh, uh, washing and, and purification and, and cleaning. See, that has been replaced, what's the sign? By him. Jesus. Hey, he's how we're ceremonially clean. Not by the washing of water and not washing of hands and the ceremonial of those old rites. Jesus has come and he is now how we are ceremonially clean. He, it's, it points to him. Amen. It wasn't about the wine. What was the big deal about Jesus? He saved our, you know, wow. He saved our face, man, at the, brought the wine. Maybe he'll do it for you. See, the emphasis wasn't on what he did. The emphasis is on who he is. Sign number one. You go into the miracle, the details that take place there, everything that Jesus says. Chapter two, the clearing of the temple. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 12, all that he does, all that he's questioned upon, Points to himself. Destroy this temple. Was he talking about the temple or was he talking about his body? Yes. I mean, come on. It's me. I've arrived. And this is all in the backdrop of a John the Baptist who's been hollering about this. In chapter 1 of Gospel of John. First thing. Telling them. So the sign wasn't about what he, what he was doing or what he told them to do. Or it, the sign was him. He and he alone. The emphasis is on him. Chapter 2. You come into chapter 4 and... And, uh, of course, the miracle of the, uh, of the healing of the boy. See, he says, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. What does that mean? Unless you actually see this stuff. See, you won't believe. Again, their emphasis. See, they didn't, see they didn't, their hope wasn't in him. They didn't come for him. They came for what he could do. And they wouldn't stick around. They wouldn't, they wouldn't embrace. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say king unless they saw that stuff. In fact, in chapter 6, go ahead and turn there because we're going to look at the last one, the feeding of the 5,000. In chapter 6, when you come down, we're going to be getting to this in the next few months. And Jesus says, listen, don't work for food. Don't, don't, don't waste your energy on that. I'm the food. That was a fun, I'm stealing that from Joel. Just telling you up front, man. They're not eating for a couple days. It doesn't mean you can't do anything else. It's just in the backdrop of everything in your life, you've got a hunger. Jesus says, let that be me. <laughs> that is the illustration he uses. I'm the bread of life, man. You must be starving to death. Is what he says. You got to be starving, man. He's telling them straightforward. And they're like, well, we, we could believe that. But guess what they say? Verse 30. So they asked, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it in belief? <laughs> we'll believe. And guess what the sign happens to be? I'll give you a clue. It's breakfast time. What will you do? Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. Some manna would be good right now. You're the bread of life? That'd be great. Bacon and eggs would be a proof of that. Not him. What he can... Sure. Chapter 6, with the, but, but our scene where he runs up the side of the mountain. 
See the, the meeting of the need? See, he, the emphasis of that whole thing was him. It wasn't the provision. It wasn't the food. It was him. I'm the manna. I'm what you're after. And why were they seeking him? Food. They were seeking him not for who he was, but what he could do in their life. Now that may seem like a small, a small deal. And that may seem like a small, a small issue. But this is huge in the mind of Jesus. In fact, he says, our passage, verse 26, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, when you first read that, in an NIV, at least, it's the same language. But, in other words, had your fill, uh, describing what happened in the first 15 verses of the chapter, uh, where they ate the loaves and were filled. Uh, If you go down to verse 12, when they had had enough to eat, it's verse 12, when they had had enough to eat, what does that mean? The Greek word there is the Greek word, uh, boy, hard to pronounce that, dude. It's a compound word of in and fill. Okay, That's the Greek word which had enough to eat. When they had enough to eat, when they were filled in, (laughs) that word is always connected with food. The word's always connected with food. They were filled in. What does that mean? I can't put any more in. Open your mouth and a bagel sticking out, okay? They were full. You can't fit any more food in you. They were filled in. When they had had enough to eat, except what in bagel is bread and fish here, okay? When they had had enough to eat. Now, Jesus says, the reason you're seeking me is not for the sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The word there, fill, he does, that's not the same word. He's not saying the reason you're looking for me is because you ate the loaves and you were filled in. That's not the word. It's a different Greek word that he uses. So he's not talking about the filling of a container of a body of food. It's the Greek word, kortazo, and it's used to describe, it's not always used with food, by the way. It's associated with spiritual things. It's used to describe a state of satisfaction. They were content or satisfied with the loaves. What were they after? Him? Nah. I had this hunger that I needed him to do for me. And the level of their commitment, the level of their embrace of him, the level of their with him had really not anything to do with him. It had to do with... Jesus says, listen, man, I know why you're seeking me. I know why you're seeking me. You ate the loaves and you were satisfied with those. You're satisfied with that. That was the the motivation of your, not for me and who I am and the glory of who I am, trusting me with your kids and trusting me with your, even, hey, all of those side, it just, hey, you, that that wasn't the motivation. It was, you were satisfied. My first thought was, man, I wonder where they learned that. And I, I, first, that was the first thought. I wonder where they learned that. Their parents have to be. In fact, as you go back to their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents and their parents' 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 back in the Old Testament, struggled with the same thing in the desert. In fact, when their needs weren't being met, what did they say? We're going back to Egypt. It's steak and potatoes there. Wasn't him. Wasn't him. 
And Jesus says that stuff, just like your forefathers, man. You're just like them. Did they learn it from their parents? Yes. But do you understand, it wasn't just from the parents. There was an issue back in the Old Testament that sparked my attention to this. It was in the leaders as well. They were teaching that. Flip back a couple chapters, if you would, to John chapter 5. Well, it's one chapter. John chapter 5, verses 37 down through verse 40. There is a whole picture. We looked at this last year in the teaching sessions of the, of the, the way Jesus looks at the Scriptures over against the way they look at the Scriptures. When Jesus looks at the Scriptures, what is it about? Him. It's His voice. It's His form. It's His word. I mean, that's, hey, you can't, you can't get around that. In fact, he says, the Father's speaking. <laughs> the Father's testified. But you've never heard his word. I mean, that's, that's how he talks about it. He's been speaking. We talk like that around here, you know. Boy, God spoke to me today. I thought Joel spoke. I've been having a conversation with Jesus this morning. He's been speaking to me this morning. Oh, really? Benny Hinn was on. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, he was on, but no, this. Yeah, I got a word from the Lord. Oh, Pat Roberts. No, 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 this. I'm knocking those guys. They're great. But hey, I mean, this is the way Jesus talked about that. It's his voice. It's his form. It's his word. When you get into this, you hear his voice. When you get into this, you see what he looks like. And he uses illustrations of that in here. And that had to draw pictures in their mind of, of, for instance, when he says, when you get into this, you you see his form. You go back into the Old Testament, you have a picture of Hosea. When you get into the picture of Hosea, or when you get into the book of Hosea, you see God uses the whole life of Hosea to present to the people of Israel saying, if I were a husband, this is what I would look like. He shows them who he is in that book. You want to know what it looks like to be a godly husband? Get into Hosea, man. You want to know the kind of husband you're called to be in the relationship? By the way, the teaching session yesterday and the input we had was fantastic of the, of the coming together as one and the different perspective. See, we're seeing God is showing what he, in his heart what he looks like in this. It's beyond information type of stuff is what I'm telling you. So when Jesus, see, it's a dialogue, verses 37 through 40, he just plain flat looks at the leaders of Israel talking about the scriptures and the scriptures for Jesus are all about him. But see, it's, it's been the father from the, from the beginning. But them... It's amazing. The leaders of Israel are not into the scriptures for him. They're not in the scriptures for him. And you would say, well, what are they in the scriptures for? Verse 39. Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures. First off, diligently study. That word is, a, is used uh, eight or nine times in the New Testament. Every time it's used, it's used in, for a pursuit of information. That's what that word is used for. This word is never used to, uh, is never used to describe a pursuit after a person. Isn't that interesting? That word that would be used would be a seeking word. You can't diligently study someone. That's not the word you use. Okay? You cannot diligently study someone. It's a gathering of, a pursuing, a diligent, over, I mean, overload. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a Nazi kind of thing. It's a, it's a ridiculously overboard kind of study of something to diligently study. In fact, when you first read this, Jesus says you diligent. Sounds like a compliment in our culture, in our translation, but it's not. You diligently study the scriptures. Now that's, if I, could, if I could, that is a contradiction of what we've been finding in Revelation. 
You don't diligently study the scriptures, folks. You read. You anagonosco the scriptures. You experience. Gnosko, the intimacy word that's used between a husband and a wife. When I walk in and I see my wife and, and I know the, just the posture by which she stands, how she feels. And, and just, oh, I mean, the knowledge there and the love and the intimacy and the embrace. And, the, and she's in, when she's in a service, it calms me down and just makes me feel better. Because when she's not there, I got Stephen, you know, and or I got, you know, you. And you're looking at me going, see, she doesn't do that to me. It's, a, it's that kind of a... And but it's it's beefed up version. It's Anna. It's it's see that's a you're to Anna Gnosko the scriptures. You're not to just diligently study. In fact, that word's not used for the scriptures. Only here. Jesus says you diligently study the scriptures, which is a gathering of information. Now, let, now finish the sentence. You diligently study the scriptures because that's a causative particle. So first part of the sentence. You diligently study the scriptures for what reason? <laughs> because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Why do they diligently study the scriptures? Oh, I can find a way to get to heaven. Seriously. Why do I read this? To know what I'm to do. Yeah, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't have sex before marriage. Yeah, that's why I do this. The law, the Ten Commandments. Put them on my, put them on my uh, refrigerator. I know what to... That's why they studied this. It was all about their... Yeah, I read this, I get into this. Why? To get to know him and his heart and see... No, no, no. I get into this, and you understand, we talked about this this week, and that's all that they had in the law, but you understand that it didn't start like that. It did not start like that. It was him. That's not what God intended. God didn't say jump through the hoops. That's never what it was. Never what it was. You listen to the preaching of Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, uh, Ezra. You listen to the heart of Nehemiah. You listen to some of those guys. The prophets as they have they've come. Some of the profound things that they they've, they said. Uh, of course, that happened right before Ezra and Nehemiah. But see, it never started out like that. They they diligently studied the scriptures because they thought that by them they possessed eternal life. Now Jesus says, now that's hey. Here's the difference. These are the scriptures that testify about. Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Where did the, let me ask you this, where did the feeding of the 5,000 group learn this? Everyone in their day. Started from the leaders of Israel down. But specifically, you could nail it to, it's a guess for their parents, but probably a good guess. But you can nail it down to the leaders of Israel. This, this was their example. This was, their, this was the teacher of their day. Why did they do these things? To get to heaven. It wasn't, why, why were they studying? Why were they investigating? And it, see, it wasn't him. It was, well, I want to go to heaven. Uh, I've, I've seen that over and over. And again, it's easier to apply this to other people's lives than yourself. <clears throat> we, when my father was dying a couple years ago, a few years ago now, I was in the, uh, uh, in the hospital. I just got, took a week off from college. I was still in college, getting ready to graduate. I went home. Corinne and I were married at that time. We'd come back from Wisconsin uh, for a revival on Sunday night, checked the answer machine, and my mom had left like three messages. Every message kept getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I drove to Indiana. And uh, I think that's how it panned out. We was in the hospital, 
and they, uh, while I was there in that time and visiting my dad, they kept calling over the announcement, preacher needed. Um, level two, uh, room something, something, I think is how it went. Hey, a preacher's needing, a needed here. A minister's needed here. Came across the announcement. Of course, since it did, everybody in my family goes, I'm not going. About 10 minutes went by, minister needed, minister needed. A few minutes went by, minister needed, minister needed. I'm like, good night. Where's the chaplain? Fire that guy. I mean, come on. I don't want to go down there. Minister needed, minister needed, minister needed. So I go down there, finally. And I think they kind of realized or thought that no one was coming. I went down there and you had the family and they're fighting. They're fighting like cats and dogs. They're screaming at each other. There's this, this guy. Didn't look that old. Looked like, just from his look, you can tell a guy who's kind of just been around the block and in the, the world for a while, the, the sound of their voice, the raspiness. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, the look of their... <laughs> that didn't come out right. Uh, you know... <clears throat> hey, this guy had been through the world. You knew that. He's cussing, mad, screaming at his wife. Get her out of here. She's out of my will and her son. And they had decided they wanted me to play referee, and I just playing flat. I mean, I didn't even try to be nice. I like your problems are your own. Okay, <laughs> what do you want? This guy said, I want you to say the sinner's prayer with me so I can go to heaven. I was like, what? You're kidding, right? He said, I want you to say the sinner's prayer with me so you can go to, so I, can, I want to go to heaven. And I said, do you know? And he just, he wouldn't let me talk. Wouldn't let me explain. Wouldn't let me minister. Wouldn't let me give him the opportunity about, to talk, do you know what your, just say the sinner's prayer with me. Grab his rosary. I said, I'll, you know, okay. You'll probably go to hell anyway, but I'll tell you. In fact, you're going to go to hell. But I'll tell you if you want me to tell you. Why did he want to say the sinner's prayer? Him? Oh. My heart broke over that guy. I'm not his judge. But you can, out of his mouth, man. What's it about him? I want my mansion in the sky. Come on. Jesus? Yeah, he, he can come over. <laughs> That's They're condemned in the passage, you understand? And you're like, their diligence, their, their risk, their, their involvement, their, all the good things, they're condemned, folks. They're out. Because only one thing's needed. Now, I don't know how that plays out in your life. But have you ever played, prayed and prayed and heart and poured out your heart and felt really pious when you did it? God, in the name of Jesus, fix my wife. Oh. Without the humor. God, in the name of Jesus, I'm so tired of seeing the 106 degree temperatures. Fix my son. That's borderlining on a condemning prayer. Just be, kind of, just be quite frank with you. Now, I know what's going to come out of your mouth or in, in your mind because I can see your eyes going. Didn't Jesus tell us? Well, no. No, he didn't. 
What did he tell me to do in the midst of that circumstance when it's hard and it's, it's difficult and there's no easy answer and some of the brutal circumstances of life? What did he say? You're king in the middle of this, Jesus. Amen. I trust you. Amen. <laughs> I trust you in this. I trust you in this. He's your boy. I gave him away at this cross-style uh, cross conference last year. We haven't taken him back. You want his brain to be fried at 106 degrees? I trust you in the middle of this, Jesus. What's your plan for him? Get me in on that. Get me in on your perspective. I want you. I want you. I know you're going to meet my needs. Come on. I know you're going to meet my needs. I mean, he closed the grass of the fields. I mean, God, that's so, that's so, I mean, that is so shallow. That is so introductory level stuff. I trust you. Intimacy. What's your plan? Let me see. What are you doing? Hey, I want to embrace. I just... Please tell me that you're not satisfied with... Oh, he brought the fever down. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Man, got us out of that one. Really, he got me out of the motor... He got me out of the, the, the truck in the fifth wheel and got me in the motorhome. Wow, thank you, Jesus. What if there was a whole bigger thing going on than that? It, wasn't, it was never about getting me out of my problems... By the way, the motorhome wasn't, thank you, Jesus, for the motorhome is, wow, neat idea. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> Where are you settling for the I'm satisfied for what he can do for me? And I know this is bad to say to you, but uh, you're on the verge of being condemned if you embrace that. And I know that's stretching. But my wife, but my son, but my health issues but my finances, but my school, that's introductory level stuff, guys. And he would not let them remain here. He would not let them remain here. And by the end of the chapter, he just gets, I mean, he, he pin because he loves them. He pinpoints them. He pressures them to such a degree that, listen, that is the only, one thing is needed, guys, period. One thing is needed, and anything else will throw you into hell. And I won't let you get away with it. I'd love you too much to let you get away with that. And you have 5,000 that walk away. And guess who's left? Twelve. Twelve. I really struggled this last year. You think I, should, you think I would have learned that earlier than this? I feel so, I feel so shallow and that kind of thing. Good news is, is I don't have to worry about that. I can just say from this point on in my life, Amen. I'm not going to get distracted. Seriously. I'm not going to get distracted. Just him. Him alone. Him alone. I'm not messing with the introductory stuff. He's got a plan. He knows. Hey, just, I don't, that's so insignificant. In fact, I've gone under the in, impression that just we're not to worry about that and He's meet those needs according to his purpose and his plan when the time comes. I've got one thing to worry about. Jesus, we love you this morning. I want to desire you, Jesus. I do not want to desire what you can do for me. Perhaps maybe that's where we as a denomination have strayed. I mean, we pick on the Pentecostals. But maybe we've strayed in the gifts that we want from you. 
Maybe we've strayed, Jesus. Maybe, we've, maybe we're seeking you. Why? So you can, hey, there's gifts. And yes, boy, if I could just get the gift of healing. And you are my gift, Jesus. You and you alone. Don't let me get distracted. Don't let me get distracted with what I want and what I want you to do for me. And if I say the right magic words and ask in the Father's name and anything that I want, come on, Jesus, bring me past. I'm, I can't believe that I've, I've tarried there. Forgive me, Jesus. I repent of that. I didn't know any better, Jesus. I didn't know. Hey, I didn't know. I repent of that. To, I've repented that this morning, Jesus. I don't want to be satisfied with introductory level what you can do for me to make my life better. I don't, don't let me settle for that, Jesus. Could I get so wrapped up into you that the things of this world, the cares and the needs of my life, they're your responsibility, you're bringing them to pass, but that's so, so by the way, it's so... Uh, doesn't really matter. It's, it's going to be taken care of. There's a whole other kingdom. There's a whole other focus. There's a whole other desire in my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to, res- to respond. What, what's been distracting you from him and him alone? I, that has become, that was such a pattern in my life. I mean, it comes down to the stupid things. Of the dishes that need to be done, of a pipe that breaks in my fifth wheel, of a, I mean, just, oh my goodness. But there's encouragement. Do you realize that I'm not too upset by all the details in my life were so stained with that because now the details of my life are going to be stained with Him. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, see, all Jesus is going to replace all of the moment by moment cares of my life and the concerns of my life. <laughs> It's a practicing your presence kind of di- a future that's ahead of me. It's a moment by moment embrace of Him. Those kind of things roll off my back. Those kind of things are going to be dealt with. Those kind of things are going to be taken care of. I'm not going to be distracted anymore. And I'm not going to be torn away from this anymore. Jesus, would you come and be the answer to my frustration? Maybe the real answer in my life is you and you alone. And that my running after what you can do for me blockades the real answer in my life. And that I've been so distracted, I've been so caught up with what I need taken care of and calling out for you and asking you to be involved in it, that my very act of my focus and intent on that has blockaded the real answer in my life, which is you. Jesus, would you come in my life, you and you alone, and be the answer in my life, in my, in my situation. I'm not praying for the situation. I'm praying, Jesus, come. Let me focus on you until that situation gets swallowed up into who you are and you become the answer. And somehow in that moment, you're unleashed in my world to bring about what you desired through that circumstance. Father, hey, would you bring revelation and freedom this morning in the lives of those of us who are seeking Could this be crucial? Could this be a crucial moment? Could this be an opportunity that we have not missed? We love you this morning.